Hello, everybody. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Tell me again, where did you go for lunch today? Uh, I went to El Palote Panaderia, which is a Mexican taqueria and bakery in Pleasant Grove. What's so cool about that? Why do I? Oh, it's it's 100% vegan. 100% vegan. 100% Mexican. Authentic. Taqueria. Yes. Panaderia. Sure. Uh, so, all vegan. All vegan. No meat. What did you eat? Uh, I had some fake meat. Okay. Uh, which, for our listening audience, isn't that out of the ordinary for me, since I am a vegetarian. Mm. And, of course, you know, the easiest way to identify a vegetarian at a dinner party is, don't worry, they'll tell you. Um, so Vegetarian humor. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, 100% vegan, delicious. Uh, shout out to my buddy, Will, for uh, tipping me off. El Pelote? Yes. Sounds awesome. We're going to check it out. And they're not even sponsoring. This is, this is just no. free. Now, you've had... You've never had meat tacos, so correct. I'm not really that interested in your opinion on meat tacos, right? But the beans and rice, yeah, you had, yeah, the refried Tastes beans, exactly the same, really, yeah. Because I always felt that the flavor that you get from good from me- refried beans from the lard, right? yeah, no, tastes exactly the same. Fantastic. All right, well, El Pelote, if you want to sponsor our podcast, you can hit us up at podcast at VelaWoodLaw.com. Welcome everybody. This is the Vela Wood review of Silicon Valley. Today we're talking about Season 4, Episode 6, or Episode 34 overall. Uh, this episode is entitled Customer Service. Okay, so Aaron, first of all, there's some really big Silicon Valley news that doesn't necessarily apply to this episode, but that came out this week. Did you hear this? Nope. TJ Miller's not coming back for Season 5. Oh. Season 5 got picked up. Okay. announced that. TJ Miller is not coming back. Apparently, he's going to be doing stand-up routines or movies or whatnot do you think that's paying him more than the show i would think maybe the same maybe probably not yeah I, well the show's only 10 episodes right? yeah so how much can they make per episode but i think just to get out and explore something else yeah get his own name out that's there correct more. i don't know if in for those of you who aren't familiar tj is Ehrlich bachman from the show i wonder if he thinks you know richard hendrix has this whatever that guy's name is has this verizon contract mm-hmm. which seems to be on on pretty re- pretty frequently so i wonder if tj miller wants to do his own verizon contract if he maybe thinks that richard's the person who plays richard hendrix is the lead character on the show if there's two right. leads on the show i don't know definitely will be missed but what is interesting about that is we only have three or four episodes left so i wonder what they're going to do to write him out yeah he's they certainly seem to be bringing him back in mm-hmm. in this episode um, so keep an eye on that well and it, you know it'll be interesting because you know, we saw how they handled Peter Gregory's right. departure, death, right. um, which, you know, it, it that came sort of obviously very unexpectedly. So um, now they have a little heads up that Ehrlich is not going to be coming back. Uh, maybe they can they can handle that a little bit. Uh, and I would think that he probably let them know a little sooner than yesterday. Right. But, uh, but yeah, it's not a whole season to prepare for it, right? Anyway, so something to keep an eye on. That would be interesting. Okay, so here we are. In episode six of season four, and Gavin Belson is gone. The guys are um, trying, they decide that they got to get a sales pitch going, right? And they got to get some customers uh, 
going. They need someone to test the product. They need some revenues coming in so that they can do continue to build the product. You know, we had this big issue last episode of the big rollout versus the quiet rollout. And they're talking about how expensive a big rollout would be. And so this episode, they resolved to let's just go get customers and try and fund our development with customer money. So one of the early um, one of the early scenes has Russ Hanneman coming and visiting uh, Richard Hendricks, and he's super pissed off because Richard stole his idea, or stole right. their idea, right. right? Yeah. Which I thought that was interesting. Because you remember, if we go back two or three episodes, when Russ, when he got this idea out of him, what Russ said to him was really neat, right? Russ said, "Give me an idea right, right. now. What's your idea?" And I think the point there was Russ was thinking, "Look, this kid's brilliant. I think everyone on the show knows that Richard Hendricks is brilliant. He's got something he's working on, but he's too afraid to say." And Richard Hendricks says, "A new internet." Right. right. I mean, how preposterous is that? Yeah. And Russ gets it out of him. I don't know. Do you think Russ should get credit for doing that? I mean, no. no. I mean, listen, it wasn't his idea. I, I thought Richard had a really good point, which is the doctor that delivers a baby doesn't get to claim ownership or right. any sort of parental rights with regard to the baby. And, you know, the idea was Richard's, not uh, Russ's. But then Russ has the ultimate comeback to that, which says that his ex-wife is now uh, suing for custody of their child with the doctor, doctor that, that delivered yeah. the baby. So that was ironic and hilarious. You know, I think the best part of the whole show is that Russ pops out of his, um, I can't remember what car, but he's got the suicide door, the Lamborghini yeah. with the doors that swing up. And he's listening to I Alone by, by Live, which was Nickelback before Nickelback was Nickelback, right? right. Live was late 90s, uh, late 90s Nickelback. And I think Russ and I are roughly the same age, so I can really, uh, really associate <laughs> with that. I, I'm just wondering what Russ Hanneman was doing when that song first came out, right? Right. <laughs> the um, hypothetical Russ Hanneman, late '90s, you know, running around a mall with his baggy jeans and his tipped hair and stuff like that. Right. So anyway, I, I don't know how much more Russ will get. Hopefully, a lot more. So they're trying to go on sales pitches without Gavin, and everyone says, "Hey, where's Gavin? Oh, he's not going to be here." No one really listened to him. Finally, they get into uh, that one company where the head of compliance, um, I believe her name was, what was her name? Liz. Liz says, well, let me just run it by my CTO. And the CTO is Dan Melcher. Right. Who has the unfortunate, uh, you know, title or distinction of being one of the few people who somehow lost a woman to Ehrlich Bakken. Not right? just a woman. His wife, right? Multiple yes, women, too. There's a two. Why? I, think, I think it was his two previous wives. Right. And I can't remember if they really went into the story. I mean, one of them happened during TechCrunch, mm-hmm. but if they really went into the story on the first one, I don't remember. No, what I don't the think so. Was there. Uh, Dan Melcher, I think, just the character, he just looks like a director of CTO. He's kind of squirrely, mm-hmm. wears glasses. Uh, he gets the, the guacamole on his shirt that he can't get off. Right. So anyway, so they're trying to sell something to uh, to be their first beta customer to Liz and, and, to, and to Dan's company. I want to talk about that from a legal perspective, Aaron. So company goes out, startup goes out. They want to sign up a beta customer. You know, what guidance do we have for guys? Now, this isn't legal advice. Right. But what would best practices be in that situation if you're the startup? Uh, well, I mean, I think, first of all, you need to make sure that you're locking up that IP. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure that they're signing an NDA just because, you know, you don't know what else they're shopping you against. And so... You know, to the extent that they, um, you know, might have any sort of nefarious intentions, you don't want them running off with your idea to a competitor. Um, and, and just making sure that, you know, everything is documented, especially when it comes to the fact that it's a beta product. Right. And 
you you know, they're going to be bugs and they're going to be kinks and it's not going to be perfect and there might be some service disruptions and interruptions. And so you just have to make sure that everything is documented knowing, you know, so the company acknowledges, yeah, this isn't going to be perfect. The, the NDA, that's a really interesting point because I think a lot of our clients will do is they say, well, we got these guys, they want to test it. So we're going to go out there and we're going to test it. Was, okay, great. Now, ideally, from our situation, Aaron, we would prefer that we draft up some sort of services agreement or some sort of a, a contract to use because the contract will contain confidentiality and ownership of IP clauses. A lot of times the company don't have the time or the money to do that. They're going to test it. You can pull an NDA. We give our NDAs away for free. You should at minimum have an NDA. Now, the company might say, I'm not signing an NDA. Okay, fine. Right. If they're not going to sign an NDA, you can still control how much information you divulge. I get this all the time. People say, I'm meeting with so-and-so company. Look, you should not be asking investors to sign NDAs. Let's not confuse things. So for those of you out there raising yes. money, do not ask an investor to sign an NDA. And also don't ask an attorney or, your, uh, you know, oh my gosh. whether they're your attorney or they're, you know, you're talking to them because you might want them to be your attorney. Don't ask them to sign Correct. an NDA. Same thing as investor. We see too many deals, too many opportunities. As attorneys, we're bound by confidentiality through our uh, ethics clauses. Even in the pursuit of representation, that would be considered uh, attorney-client privilege information. But anyway, if you're, if you're going to go show off your technology to a beta customer, ideally you're going to have them sign a, some sort of services agreement. Uh, or a licensing agreement. If you can't get that far, then an NDA would be helpful. If you can't get to an NDA, just don't show them everything. Just don't tell them everything. It's not that hard. Hide the secret sauce. Hide the secret sauce. And I think um, you know Aaron makes a great point then. If you do have a beta version, and we, we actually just drafted something like this recently, Aaron. Uh, Jeff and I were working on something where we put in that language that this is beta. You acknowledge this is beta. We don't know if it's compatible with your system. We, there could be flaws in it. There could be bugs in it. Really, the only thing we would warrant is that we haven't stuck a Trojan horse in it. Right. Right? And that's totally yeah. fine. But to the extent that we're developing on this system or with this software and you use a different system or software, we can't – we're not ready to warrant that it's going to work. Now, once we've tested this 100 times over and we've done some quality assurance or we've had multiple beta customers, we might go a little further with what we're willing to promise or guarantee. But I think that's really, really important. So the next thing I want to mention was Richard ends up spending a whole day there with Liz walking her through how the product works. You obviously can't – well, you're most likely not going to do that with um, all your customers. But it's not uncommon from a beta – go ahead. No, uh, it's not uncommon, especially when you consider the fact that they're out there selling this before even having any – you know, the whole impetus for going on this sales run – was they were looking somebody was looking at real estate listings and these were pre-construction real estate listings and Richard had the idea of you know we don't have a product yet but why don't we go ahead and try to sell this and so you know in these situations where you don't have a product yet yeah you're going to need to go ahead and and spend a lot of time walking people through what exactly it is and how it works but it's probably a really productive process. And if you guys have read the Lean Startup, you get to market as fast as you can and you iterate. That's essentially what Richard is doing. So I thought that was really neat and probably on point for a company that early who's trying to sell something. They're not exactly sure what they're selling. Well, and also, you know, to get that, you know, any sort of feedback that Liz might provide and say, you know, okay, well, yeah, you know, Richard is looking at it from one perspective, but if you come at it from a completely different perspective, right. which is Liz's perspective, it might point out some flaws or some, you know, features that are not there yet. Yeah, I mean, Richard's not an enterprise IT director, so right. he doesn't really know what they need. He can only try and guess. That's one thing you see a lot is people say, well, I'm solving this problem in the marketplace. 
does that problem really exist? Yep. But anyway, it looks like they're going to move forward, uh, you know, even beyond the, the physical interaction between Richard and Liz. So the next thing I really want to talk about is uh, Ehrlich made a comment when he was talking about the company. He said, well, you know, remember, I own 10% of the company because it was created in my incubator, right? So Ehrlich has an incubator. Let's talk for a second, Aaron, about the difference between an incubator and an accelerator. Yeah. Ehrlich has an incubator, which is where he provides office space. He provides an environment for startups to grow, right? You think about what an incubator does. You put an egg in there, the startup's the egg, and then you incubate it for a period of time. You apply warmth and heat or you know comfort or certain surroundings. In this case, he's got office space. He's got food. He's got living quarters. He, you know, he's got some sort of collaboration going between the other people. Um, right now, there's only really two companies that are incubating there. Right. Jin Yang, I guess he's just sitting on cash waiting for his next idea. And in um, Pied Piper, but that's an incubator, and they usually do that. They don't charge instead of charging rent. Uh, they just take a percentage of the company. Right. Early takes ten percent. How's that contrast with an accelerator? Well, you know, uh, if you just look at the sort of the roots of the two words, incubate and then accelerate means you know you, you maybe you've gone through an incubator and you you know are out there in the marketplace already, but it's time to accelerate your growth, and you're ready to sort of. You know, you need the mentors, the advisors, the the programming that an accelerator can provide to you to get your company to the next stage. I also think accelerators usually have a defined term, right? right? They're usually 12 to 16 weeks from mm -hmm. what we see. Incubators, I think, can be a lot longer. Right. It's just kind of you're just there. You don't want to, if you're incubating the company for too long, if you're not raising capital, if you're not getting into your real office space, then there's probably something wrong with your company. Well, and I also want to address this whole the 10% thing. It sounds like a big chunk of the company. That's a huge chunk. But when you consider, you know, he's going to get diluted so much as the companies, you know, leave the incubator, go out and raise funds. You know, it, it wouldn't be outrageous to see that 10% eventually get diluted down to 2% or sure. something even smaller if than you, that. If, you, if you're an initial guy and he's, he's not being re-upped through option pools, right. you know, like founders usually will be. I also think that, you know, what Ehrlich does, he provides a, he really actually provides a tremendous amount of value, right? Because for these guys, he definitely thinks so. Yeah, he definitely thinks so. But I think his particular incubator does, is provided a lot of value for Jin Yang. Mm -hmm. He's made money off it, right? You know, Jared has moved into a role that he seems much happier at than he was at Huli. Um, it's launched a couple of companies that have had decent amount of success, at least from a product development standpoint. One of the companies exited to Huli, and the only reason why it exited so fast was, had to exit was because they had, you know, violated COPPA and some terms of service issues. So I think he's providing a, a, a great service, you know, he, like you say, he likes to pat himself on the back for it. So let's stay with Ehrlich. Ehrlich then shows up at Bream Hall, right? So Monica Hall has gone from being on the outs at uh, Raviga mm -hmm. to being a named partner in a Silicon Valley VC firm. Yeah, I, that caught me off guard. It was, me too. It was. It went from uh, Lori asking her if she wanted to jump ship with her to all of a sudden now we see Monica's name on the door. So I think there's a couple of reasons for this. One, because we're in uh, fantasy land and you know these guys are writing a show. Two, Lori Bream doesn't have any friends. She doesn't have any partners. Monica's her best friend. Monica's her best friend. I'm sure her investors love her. Right. LPs love her. I would too with that kind of precision and focus. And then three, I think it speaks to something we talked about last week. Is Silicon Valley trying to address this whole women in Silicon Valley issue? 
Yeah. And they're doing it by saying, hey, look, we're going to put we're going to make two women the focus of one of the most integral parts of this show. Yeah. And so I think all those reasons are the reason why they did it. She had great swag. I thought that was hilarious mm-hmm. that you're showing up because we have seen that. We show up at startups who can barely make payroll, who are struggling with cash. And then- right. All of a sudden, which I thought is funny. Yeah. What was different this show about what he's been doing for the last four seasons? Right, just sitting around smoking pot, and now all of a sudden he he wants to come in and join the the firm as, you know, basically offering his quote-unquote services for free. So he leaves that meeting and goes to a coffee shop where I guess there's a meeting of a bunch of VCs. Yeah. This was weird. I I don't think you ever see this happen. Yeah, I I mean, especially this whole sort of, you know, an anonymous meeting where nobody knows who all's invited and – um, yeah, it, it, that seemed strange. So I had to look it up. The guy's name is Keenan Feldspar. Okay. Right? This is this is the character's name, and he's got a VR company. Is, is he supposed to be like Palmer Lucky, the guy who created Oculus? Hmm, that's a great point. I think we need to take a deeper look into that. You know, I go and read a lot of reviews. That means two. After <laughs> these shows are over to get more info on it, none of these guys are really deep into Silicon Valley. Right. That might be it. I mean, everyone else is pretty much based yeah. on someone, right? Uh, so maybe he is. And maybe this does happen in the Valley. I can say that we haven't seen this happen in Dallas. Right. I haven't heard of it or we haven't seen it happen in Austin. Or we're I mean, just not getting invited. It, well, I feel like <laughs> if it was happening, we would probably know about it, at right. least locally. Yeah. But, man, how cool would that be if we had such a, you know, if you were just such a badass, you just called a bunch of people. Now, I don't know if that's the most professional way of doing things, but – Ehrlich just being his traditional self. And that was great about that scene is Ehrlich was just himself, mm-hmm. right? He's just, you know, screw you. And he's willing to bullshit his way into a situation. He's willing to tell that guy to piss off. And then the reaction of Keenan Feldsbar is, you know, I love this yeah. guy. And let's move forward. Uh, so Keenan, Ehrlich lands Keenan, brings Keenan over to Bream Hall. So now they're considering doing something with Ehrlich. Ehrlich does have this tremendous, you know, right place, right time ability. To, to do things, and sometimes that's just as important as, you know, whatever Lori or Monica brings to the table. Right. Uh, let's see. Then you've got the the subplot where Dinesh and Guilfoyle had accidentally swapped information on each other's phones. Yeah. It, and then they're slapping each other, yeah. Yeah, sub subplot. That was a real sub-subplot. <laughs> Let's see. I think those are all my thoughts on uh, Silicon Valley episode 34, which is uh, episode 6. Now, there's 10 this season, so we got four more, 7, okay. 8, 9, and 10. I know we're a little late with this one. We'll try and get to them sooner. Uh, we haven't been really – let me take this back. Let me state this another way. We have capacity to answer questions if anyone wants to email us at podcast at com. Yeah. Right? I mean, we've been getting a bunch of great questions and just haven't had time to, right. to answer them right. yet. Yeah. But, you know – Maybe uh, is our email working? Is email well, – Yeah, can't... it's working because we're getting all those great questions. Right, so that's right. Just... So reach out to us, podcast at VelaWoodLaw.com. Check us out online, VelaWoodLaw.com. Let's see. Uh, follow us on Instagram or Twitter at VelaWoodLaw. I think that's it. So for Silicon Valley Review by Vela Wood, I'm Kevin. I'm Aaron. And we'll talk to you again in a couple of days. Thanks for listening.